I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Martin Nelson, Chief Executive Officer of M10 Networks, which supplies digital money technology to banks. Let's start by the place digital money has in the economic system. We have an established two-tier financial system or two-tier monetary system. Where does digital money sit within that? Very good question. Digital money is this interesting term that has been thrown around for a large number of years. And what is digital money really? I mean, it could certainly you could argue that money that you have in your bank account is digital because it's not like it's bills sitting in a vault. Credit cards are are digital money. In the context of digital money, as it's reference to today, it it sort of stems out of the cryptocurrency craze. And as you're aware of, in the last year or two, there's been a great deal of discussion, especially at central bank levels, about central bank digital currencies and how that affects the economy and how cryptocurrencies affect the economy and so on. I think the important thing to understand is that we have a two-tier monetary system that has been working for decades, if not centuries. And that means that central banks are issuing money that are used by commercial banks, and commercial banks are eventually issuing money to you and me and businesses. And that has actually been working quite well, and it's it's been tested again and again. And I think the, the, the challenge right now is, yes, digital currency has lots of promises, But we got to be careful to not throw out the baby with the bathwater, essentially. So when we look at digital currencies, we need to make sure that it fits within the current two-tier monetary system. Okay. well, you, you mentioned cryptocurrencies there. Cryptocurrencies are unregulated liabilities. Surely that is incompatible with the existing monetary system. Yes. And and in fact, if you look at Bitcoin, it's actually more of a unregulated asset, right? It's not really a liability. Uh, stable coins, we could argue they are liabilities. They are also, in most cases, well, actually all cases so far, unregulated. I think this is about to change. My expectation is we'll start to see the first regulations around stable coins in within the next 12 to 18 months, is my guess. And I think that that is a really good thing because it brings a level of trust to this new digital money that we haven't had before. So I've hard to see Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies make a move into that space, but stable coins, I, I do believe, will, will become regulated over time. That's the tokenized, regulated liability that a central bank can control. Yes, correct. Exactly. That's what it is. It's tokenized, regulated liabilities. Well, I I also take your point about Bitcoin, and I say this to people myself, it is not a currency. It is an asset. It behaves like a commodity. It's traded like a commodity. It's not a currency. Yeah. Whether people want to call it a cryptocurrency or not, it's not a currency. It does not behave like a currency. Correct. It doesn't behave like a currency. And and at least if you look at the United States regulations, it's certainly more, it looks more like an asset. Uh, I mean, you can't really use Bitcoin to buy anything because as a, as a result of selling your Bitcoin, you are 
subject to taxes, right? So on capital gains taxes. So, you know, it's, it's not for purpose. It's not for payment purposes. But yes, if you're an investor, uh, Bitcoin can certainly be a very interesting asset. Well, let's move on from Bitcoin and its failure to be a currency to why we would care about digital currencies at all. What are the benefits of digital currencies? And this is a really important question as well. Like, why should we even entertain this? What's so great with it that we can't already do today? And the answer to that is sort of multifaceted. It often depends on what part of the world you're in. In the developing economies, the drivers may be very different than in the developed economies. If we look at a country like Sweden, for example, that is, you know, essentially there's no cash used anymore. The central bank there has a mandate to provide the citizens or the residents of the country with money, right? And so if they can't do that because people don't use cash, there needs to be a different form. Right. And, and so hence the digital uh, currency. Right. If we look at countries, as I said, developing economies, financial inclusion, universal access to money and those things become drivers for digital money. But in a nutshell, I would say that the key drivers are uh, speed of settlement, cost, reducing the cost and a little farther along is probably the programmability of money, right? The, the ability or, or payments, rather, I should say. Uh, the ability to have conditional payments will most likely, the way I look at it, enable new business models, uh, which I think are, are very interesting. These currencies are coming, whether we are going to be concerned about it or not. The Chinese government is already experimenting with a, a digital currency, a central bank digital currency. You're expecting regulation of cryptocurrencies and stable coins in the next 12 to 18 months. What does the world look like five years down the line? Would you expect a lot of central banks by then to have issued their digital currency? I think several central banks will have issued digital currency on their on their own. I think there will also be several central banks that are looking at alternative ways to address the needs of the, that sort of digital currency address uh, provides, which may not involve a direct issuance of digital currency to, to residents or citizens, but a stronger involvement with the commercial banks and allowing the commercial banks to issue tokenized regulated liabilities that are fungible, right? Because that's the problem, really. If you have each commercial bank, you know, bank A issuing its coin and bank B issuing its coin and bank B issuing its coin, and if you can't transact bank A coin to for bank B coin, it becomes all useless. And so I think, you know, if, if the regulators and central banks sort of support this new model, then I think there are possibilities for perhaps not even having to issue a, a digital currency. And I think many central banks are shy of doing so because there's this fear of opening the Pandora's box. So if they don't have to do it, but they can still provide the benefits of digital currency, I think that's that's probably the holy grail for most central banks. Well, that's really what brings me to my final question, because this is going to, I would assume, mean some fundamental changes to the payments networks. 
Exactly. That that's exactly right. I mean, the payments networks, as we look at them today, uh, many of them have uh, you know are based on technologies that were were created long before the internet, and they've s- certainly served us well. But I think what we've seen with the cryptocurrencies was cryptocurrencies certainly have shown us is that there is a better way to move value across something like the internet. And I do believe that payment networks will be changed dramatically over the next five years to, again, provide instant settlement, lower cost and universal access. But to do so in an umbrella that allows the central banks to keep track of what's going on, because I can see all sorts of issues for economies if that's not the case. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Um, and it's not like KYC and AML screening and sanction screening is going to get any easier. The The screws will be tightened, uh, as I see it. And as these new payment systems evolve and gets uh, designed and built, the central banks slash regulators will have a very strong influence on, on how that will work, for sure. Martin Nelson, Chief Executive Officer of M10 Networks, thank you very much.